So you want to know the ins and outs of managing your money. Well, lucky for you, you're just in time for another episode of Master Your Finances with certified financial planner professional, Kurt Baker. Kurt and his panel of experts are here for you and will cover topics from a legal and personal standpoint. They'll discuss tax efficiency, liability, owning, managing, and saving your money, and more. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider offers continuing studies programs for adults who need flexibility. Want to add new skills to your resume? Take a continuing studies course at Ryder University. Now, let's learn how we can better change our habits with Kurt Baker. Welcome back. You're listening to another edition of Master Your Finances. I am Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional. Uh, I can be reached through our website, which is uh, www.cwmi.us, or you can call me directly at 609 716 Four seven zero zero, and today we're going to talk a little bit about um, some things that are happening here locally. We have a, a large pharmaceutical company that's offering uh, pension uh, buyouts. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the things that are going on that are a little nefarious, some uh, different institutions that have been defrauding people, and how you might protect yourself from any t- from those types of things and things to be on the lookout for, and uh, some other things as well. So, one thing I want to start off with is just recently. I'm going to give you a little recommendation. Recently, I, I found someone's cell phone in the parking lot outside of my office. And fortunately, when I pulled up the phone itself, I could read uh, how you have the screen where you can sometimes read the, the most recent messages. And on that particular message, it happened to have a reference to a suite number, which would happen to be in the same building. And I was able to go up there and identify the person that was in the, the subject matter of that. And she happened to know who he was since he actually worked for her. And so fortunately, that was a good story that I was able to find the owner specifically because the most recent message had referenced somebody that was in his office locally, and and it was close to me, so I was able to go up there and find it. But one thing that I started doing a long time ago, and I recommend it, is um, I started off with uh, like going to special events. You, uh, If you're wearing a coat, especially now that it's pretty chilly up here in the north, especially in the Midwest, put one of your business cards in your coat pocket is a really easy way to try to identify your coat from another person's coat. In my case, my coat's pretty similar to other people's coats when I go to these different business affairs, so sometimes I get a little bit confused. But then what I also started doing is I started taking one of my business cards and putting it between the case of my phone and the actual phone itself. And, and actually, the first thing I did when I found the phone was I pulled the case off to see if there's any kind of identifying information in the phone itself because unfortunately as we all know we want our phones to be secure so they are locked and you don't really want to share information with other people um, without their without your permission so to speak so we're, we're generally pretty good about securing the phone the only issue is if you don't put some way for somebody to identify it there and then you can also um, put an emergency contact in there if you do that I could have called, tried calling the emergency contact in there as well I didn't necessarily want to do that but you can input an emergency contact in your phone and so I recommend you do that as well. But that, that's just a side note. Um, you know, any kind of valuable thing you carry around with you, uh, whether it's a, a pocketbook, a wallet, whatever it is, put, put use your business cards for other things than just to network. It's also a good way to quick identifier, maybe luggage. I've done it with my luggage when I'm on an airplane. If I don't have the thing, I'll just stick the business card in there. Um, and that way people can, can locate you if they need to. Um, here locally, uh, and this has been happening over the years, I know, that a lot of the large companies – have um, re- people that are retired, either they're currently retired or they're going to be retiring, 
And I know my father had worked for Lockheed Martin for many, many years, and they had a, um, a pension plan. And so what happens is, uh, and the government has pension plans, and there's all these large pension plans. And sometimes you'll hear about how these pension plans are underfunded. And the, and the reason they talk about that is because what they do actuarially on a periodic basis is they'll say, okay, well, here's the people that I have in the plan covered, the workers that I have covered that maybe aren't retired yet, and then the people that are actually receiving the pension, um, they actually like determine how long they think each of those people are going to live and how, how much they're each receiving. So long story short, what they'll do is they'll find, they come up with a number, and that's what they call that the pension obligation. And oftentimes what will start happening is if they're not funding that pension uh, every year, then they may get a little bit behind on that. And some of that can have to do with the market. If there's a market downturn, uh, the, uh, the return on the assets may not be keeping up with the obligations themselves. And, and or they may have people living longer. They didn't. Uh, they underestimated how long somebody might be living and things like that. Uh, corporations have had that happen. I know years ago when General Motors was in bankruptcy, they had problems with their pension. And the reason, one of the reasons that occurs is because the pension obligation is often just a lien against the corporation itself. In other words, it's part of their general fund. It's not like protected necessarily directly within the corporation, although there are uh, the pension guarantee, there are funds out there, government funds that have been established since then to guarantee at least a certain amount of the pension money. But in general, this is an obligation of the company. And so the company is really taking this on themselves when they create a pension or what we call um, a defined benefit, meaning the benefit itself is defined. Um, and so that's when, when somebody actually gets a check that's you know $500 a month for the rest of their life and things like that. That's, that's the benefit. So it's a defined benefit plan, and that's the traditional pension that we all think about that maybe our parents or our grandparents had. Many of the plans we have now are called um, uh, contribution plans, right? So that you, you contribute to it like a 401k plan. You put in a certain amount you're allowed to put in every year, and hopefully if you're investing properly, that asset will grow large enough where at some point in time, you can start to derive an income from it. And so what's been happening is these obligations of corporations have gotten fairly large because our, we li we're living longer. And so it becomes much more of a, of a challenge for them to keep up with it. And many of them are starting to opt and have been for many years to opt to allow people to uh, roll over their pensions or they will, they will terminate their pensions. In the case here locally, just back in December, we had uh, Bristol Myers Squibb, which is a local company. They decided to terminate their retirement income plan, which was transferring, in this case, 3.8 billion of its U.S. pension obligations, and they they're transferring them over to an annuity company. In this case, the annuity company is Athene Annuity and Life. So really, what they're doing is they're turning they're they're allowing somebody else to manage. They don't want to have to manage this $3.8 billion in assets anymore because it is a liability. If they're wrong on the actuarial side. They could end up owing more than $3.8 billion. But based on today, the actuarial value, and part of that has to do with interest rates, believe it or not, because interest rates themselves work inversely to the obligation. So in other words, if you have low, low interest rates, then the pension obligation uh, could potentially go up because you have to pay a certain amount per month. If rates um, you know, go up and you start getting a higher return, then obligation can actually drop a little bit because you're getting a, a higher return on those assets themselves. And so in Bristol-Myers case, they have about 4,800 uh, active employees and about 1,400 uh, retirees and beneficiaries. So they, they have a large number of people. So they are trying to, um, and then they also have another 18,000 and prior Bristol-Myers Squibb employees have not yet initiated their benefits. So the company said, 
with all these provisions, they want to essentially roll this over and um, they want to terminate the plan. And why would they want to terminate the plan? The reason they want to terminate the plan is because they want to deleverage. They want to take that obligation off of their books. Um, Bristol-Myers had a couple struggles lately because of some things that didn't get approved and things like that, but that's that's kind of the pharmaceutical business. So for whatever reason, I mean, I'm not, on the ins- I'm not an inside person there, but I do know they, they've made a management decision, hey, we just don't want to have to deal with this anymore. So they're going to take the pension plan, they're going to buy it out, they're going to basically, in this case, they've worked a deal out with a, uh, a private insurance company who is going to manage it. So they're going to buy it out and they're going to offer their employees a couple of options. Some of the options are, one, they can just stay with the plan, so to speak. And what's going to happen is that obligation is going to transfer from Bristol-Myers Scribd directly over to Athene. Athene is now going to be managing it. You're going to start getting your check from Athene and things like that. And so after yeah, after that happens, um, you shouldn't notice any difference other than the fact that the guarantor now is really the uh, insurance company as opposed to Bristol-Myers Squibb. So if you're happy about that and you're a retiree, most likely you're not going to really notice a difference. You're just going to notice uh, the check may be coming from a different source. Everything else should really stay the same. Um, where the, the decision-making process is coming in is where those who are either getting ready to retire or currently retired, haven't turned on their pension, things like that, they're going to start. They're going to offer, and they have offered uh, various options. One of those options is the lump sum option, which can be very popular. But uh, there are some pros and cons to taking a lump sum uh, payment from a pension plan, and um, so I want to go through just a little bit of those uh, here uh, as far as what you should be doing and looking at. One is you have to understand what that is and how much that might be. And so you want to get that information directly from um, the administrators, at, in this case at Bristol-Myers Group or whatever company may work for, and then you can start to do an analysis. And we come back from the break, I'll kind of walk you through those last few steps of doing an analysis of whether or not maybe you should take a pension uh, lump sum payment or whether or not you should take some of the other options that are available typically with um, pensions when you start to receive those benefits. Uh, and we'll be back in just a few minutes to talk a little bit about some of those options when uh, they do terminate plans and you can roll out your uh, pension to yourself and manage it yourself, essentially. We'll be right back. This is Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, certified financial planner professional. Learn about tax efficiency, liability, owning, managing, and saving your money and more from Kurt and his experienced panel of guests. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider University offers flexible education for adult learners. For more information, it's rider.edu slash next step. Welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finances. I am Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. We'll be talking a little bit about um, what many of the larger companies, especially even smaller companies, are starting to do is to um, try to offload essentially their pension uh, obligation and try to um, give you other options, which could be good options, and you just need to analyze it. It's a period in time where you don't want to hastily go through this because it can be uh, a pretty major decision, and you want to make sure that you make the right decision. So we want to walk through this very, very, very carefully. And I know in the case with most of the larger companies, what they'll do is they will typically set up at least some type of an advisory capacity. And that's great. Um, but I would also uh, in, uh, recommend that you talk to a third party, a, a fiduciary type advisor, somebody who is not connected to the transaction directly 
to also kind of take a look at it because in the case where the one I mentioned before the break, Bristol Myers Squibb, they do have a, a company that's managing it. They're kind of working with the annuity company that's going to take over the assets. Of course, the more money that rolls directly into the annuity company, the more that they're going to manage and the more they benefit from that. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but just be aware of where people are coming from as far as the direction comes from. You want to get unbiased opinion about this because there really is no right or wrong decision. It's more about what is your personal situation and what really works best for you. And that's really where it's important to kind of understand because typically when the, a pension is terminated, there's really f- kind of four basic uh, concepts that can come into play uh, when you have a termination of a pension plan. One, they'll actually allow you to take the cash. They'll say, okay, well, here you built up your pension. Here's the calculation for the pension. If you want to, just we'll write you a check directly to you, and you can take the cash. That's almost never a good idea for most people. And the reason is because you're going to pay taxes, Depending on your age, you may pay penalties, you may pay a 10% early withdrawal type penalty. There's, there's many, many downsides to that. In, a, in addition, you're going to give up the ability to allow that to continue to accrue tax deferred, which can be a very powerful compounding uh, aspect to it, because now if you took the cash directly, it's going to go into a regular taxable account, and anytime you get returns, you have to report that, and the IRS is going to want their their taxable amount each time uh, there's any type of annual return on it. Uh, so that can erode your returns over a long period of time if your intention is to use that for retirement at some point in time. So most people shouldn't do that, but there are circumstances where it does make sense. I have had seen clients where took out a small piece of it for a very specific reason, something they needed to resolve that was essentially an emergency of some kind, um, but then they rolled the majority of it into something else. The other is you can just annuitize it. What that means is you turn it into kind of a, a private pension, per se. I mean, it's not technically a pension, but it works a lot like a pension where you transfer that obligation over to an insurance company. The insurance company makes the calculation and says, okay, based on the value of the asset that's being transferred over and based on the pool of people, and that's uh, likely what uh, Athene is doing with uh, Bristol-Myers Squibb, is they're saying, okay, well, we're, we're capturing all of these potential employees, and we expect the um, – they'll, they'll do an actuarial on all of the, the group, the entire group. So it's a group – type rollover, so to speak. So when you do kind of a group rollover or a group pension, the advantage is now you're distributing the risk over many different ages and many different health scenarios and things like that. So it does incrementally lower the cost of administering a plan. And that's one of the draws that has historically been to a pension plan because you are spreading it out among a lot of different individuals and families. So you can work with the, uh, the law of large numbers and you can get that cost down. But uh, that doesn't always work because it depends on your personal situation. Do you intend, do you want the income as an example? What, let's say you have another, uh, a spouse as an example, or you have other sources of income that may be coming into the household, and maybe you don't really want to take that income now, or maybe you're not intending to take it for a while. Maybe you're, you're very fortunate, and that may end up being an asset that you want to um, put into your estate and maybe uh, be part of your estate at some point in time. So you, you just want to kind of as a reserve and you, that you might have to access, but you don't think you're going to have to access this point. That's one scenario. Another scenario is somebody who really needs that income every month and they're relying on it. And that might be a good, that might be something where somebody might say, Hey, I really need to start taking that payment now so I can cover my monthly bills and I can take care of that. So that's, that's turning it into quote an annuity. Now, if it turns into an annuity, remember that annuity is, Essentially, their contract for life. So you're you're taking that 
lump sum cash, let's say it was a million dollars, and they may be saying, okay, we're going to pay you, let's say, $35,000 a year for the rest of your life. Well, that's fantastic, but if something, God forbid, happens to you uh, in two months, you're going to get two checks, and then your heirs are going to get zero because you've annuitized. You've turned it into annuity, you've traded risk, and that rest of that money goes into the pool of this larger group of people that are also getting this group annuity type situation. So your money is going to now subsidize the other people in the pool, which is good for the people who have longevity and end up living a long time. That's why sometimes these numbers look really good because you are spreading that risk over a large number of people. So if you happen to be one of the fortunate ones that lives for a very, very long time, then you could you could come out ahead. And that's part of the um, the... the planning that you need to do is really kind of think about how long you might actually be receiving that income and what you think that return is going to be. Um, the next option is if you have another, let's say you're going to get another job. Maybe you left this particular job and you're going to go get another job. Well, you can do a direct uh, rollover to another 401k plan as an example. So you can take that lump sum from your current corporation and, it's, um, and maybe roll it into another qualified plan, which is sometimes done. Um, because they may like the benefits of the other plan. Typically, one of the nice things about large uh, 401k plans is the administrative costs are incrementally a little bit lower than if you were managing it on your own, because again, you have that uh, economy of scale. We're in a large plan. Typically, the downside to that is, is they're going to select the menu of options that you can purchase. In other words, they're going to choose ahead of time what the different funds are that you can buy and the types of investments you can buy, and that may be just fine. So if you're moving from one employer to another and that's something you want to do, you can look into that and you can potentially roll your existing pension or 401k for that matter into another one that at your new job, essentially. The last one, which I personally see be, seems to be the most popular, uh, but it also has downside, you, you can roll the sum into your own um, IRA. Uh, or Roth IRA, depending on not, whether or not whether that money was pre-tax or after-tax. So a pre-tax type uh, retirement plan or a pension where no tax has been drawn on it or a 401k plan where no, nothing has been taxed yet, most likely that's going to qualify. And they'll, and, and they'll tell you what, what it qualifies for. You don't have to guess it. This is part of the conversation you have with the administrators as far as what it qualifies for. So most likely it's going to go into a traditional type IRA. And the advantage to that is you're now managing yourself. And so you're managing it yourself, and then you make all the investment decisions. The downside to that is you're managing it yourself, and you get to make all the investment decisions. And so if you make mistakes, you could end up not getting the type of return that you need to get. And frankly, most people end up hiring an advisor of some kind to help them with that uh, process to make sure that their plan, that the, that the asset selection they're making is well within their risk profile, is within the plan, you know, the, obliga the obligations you may have in the future, what you want that money to actually do for you and your family over a long period of time. So it's very important to understand the difference. Now, another thing that sometimes people don't, don't remember is when you put that lump sum into your own IRA, you can also purchase your own individual annuity. In other words, you are not, no, like in the first example, or the second one I should say, is when you annuitize and you are part of a group annuity plan, you're going to get those payments every month because you're part of this group that bought you know, this multi-billion dollars that was rolled into one insurance company, and they're going to spread that risk out, and they're going to do all the calculations based on this large group that's coming over to them. If you do it on your own, of course, they're doing it based on, on your profile. So individually, the cost may be a little bit higher, but the, other, the, the plus side is, is a lot of the annuities offer 
different bells and whistles, different ways you can set them up. And so it gets a little bit complicated, but one of the main reasons I see people like to manage their own, even if they they decide to to buy some type of an annuity, is many of the annuities allow you to do um, essentially a loan against the asset. And what that is, is is let's say my my previous example, you had a million dollar that you rolled in, you would purchase an annuity, and instead of that ter- being an annuitized, and you're literally converting that and giving it to the insurance company in, re- in return for the $35,000 a year, what happens is you start essentially drawing on the value of the asset. You start drawing down through a loan process, you draw down the $35,000 a year. So if you do $35,000 a year, right, you've got many, many years before you deplete the asset. So at the end of the first year, you're going to have 965000 without taking into account returns and interest and all that. So what will happen is you're going to draw that down over time. So if something were to happen to you, the, your, your heirs would get that 965 if you happen to pass away at the end of the year. So there's some differences there that you need to be really aware of, even if you end up doing the exact same thing, doing it as a group and doing it as an individual. There are pros and cons to doing it every way. So it's very important to do an analysis, and we'll be right back in just a few minutes. This is Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. Learn about tax efficiency, liability, owning, managing, and saving your money and more from Kurt and his experienced panel of guests. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider University offers flexible education for adult learners. For more information, it's rider.edu slash next step. Welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finances. I am Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. We've been talking a little bit about um, pensions and uh, the obligation that it puts upon corporations. And many people know that there's the same issues going on with uh, government employees as well. In fact, some of the states are significantly underfunded. That's constantly a budget issue to try to um, to fund those obligations. So it is a, it is a big issue out there. And so one of the trends that corporations have done, I'm not aware personally of any uh, business or, excuse me, government entities doing it, but it wouldn't surprise me they didn't start talking about that potential uh, happening at some point in time, at least to some degree. So what they're trying to do is offload that obligation because they don't want to have to manage it. That's They're not in the business really of managing assets, and this is just one way for them to focus really more on their business and less on the actual uh, pension obligation, which uh, has become fairly significant because we are living longer. Uh, an example of where this kind of went wrong a little bit is MetLife back a few years ago had taken over um, some pension obligations, and just recently they were fined a million dollars because they had determined that some people they pre- were had presumed were, they had presumed passed away. So they had sent a couple. They you know their defense was well we sent a few letters out one at sixty five one at seventy and a half. And since we didn't get a response, we didn't think that they uh, were around. And so the government's position was, well, you didn't really try hard enough to find the, uh, the pension recipients or their beneficiaries, because in some case, these pensions are set up where you may have um, a spousal benefit. So one person may be getting the benefit, and then if the spouse fall, passes away, then the, re- the remaining spouse may continue to get a benefit over a period of time. So in this case, there were about 13,500 people that had been affected, and you know they found out about it, and um, in this case, they were fined. And I guess the really the, the, the important thing to take from this is understand what you're supposed to be getting, right? So if you're receiving a pension, whether it's directly from your employer or whether it has been transferred to an insurance company, uh, just don't like forget about it. You really have to know 
how it's set up. You want to make sure you put it in your estate planning documents, exactly what's going on, what would happen if the primary beneficiary of the uh, pension uh, passes away or the annuity if it turns over into an, uh, to an insurance company. And just be, be aware of it. It, is a, it. it can be a significant asset. You just want to make sure you understand what that is. So if you're in a situation where maybe this is being offered to you, there's some basic questions I'll kind of walk you through so you're aware of things that you want to ask. ask. So just the, really the basics. So you want to make sure that you want to know what, uh, what the benefit options are and when they're going to be available and then the time period under which they'll be distributed. Like how, how do they, what is the calculation for that lump sum benefit? You want to understand how they're doing it, how they're calculating, because typically it has to do with uh, insurance rates, interest rates at the time that do the calculation, and also has to do with mortality tables at the time they do the calculation. So it's a fairly uh, predetermined um, calculation as far as how they do it. And this is kind of updated on a constant basis, similar to the required diminished distribution calculation comes out by the IRS every year. And that's something that is done on IRAs when they try to determine how much of your IRA you need to take out every year, because the idea is that it terminates at the same time that you pass away. In other words, your IRA ends. So they're they're trying to, and this changes. Our, our longevity tables do change periodically. Um, they can change every year. They don't necessarily do that, but they can. And so they do change over time. Um, what is the uh, value of the lump sum relative to what they're offering as far as a monthly payment goes, right? So you look at the lump sum that they're offering, you look at the monthly payment they're offering, and they may also offer a number of different options within that. They could offer, uh, as I said before, like a spousal benefit. So you may get a full benefit, $1,000 a month, and you may and you can do things like um, as an example, they go, each spouse gets 100%, let's say, right? So it could be uh, $1,000 a month for each, uh, for you. And then if you were to pass away, your spouse would get $1,000 a month, right? Or they may do something like you get um, uh, the full benefit, but if you pass away, your spouse gets 75%. So what ends up happening there is they go, oh, well, you're going to get maybe 1100 a month, and then your spouse might get 75%. Or if they give you, and they also have 50%, and things like that. So there'll be different incrementals or they'll have zero, right? So sometimes people will just take the highest benefit, which might be in this case, let's say $1,500 a month. But the downside to that is if your spouse, if you pass away before your spouse, of course, or you don't, then the, the, then he or she may not have an, enough income to live on. And when you're doing basic planning, you really look at the expectation of what the last person um, that needs to use the assets is going to have. In other words, if you have two a married couple, which is most typically the situation, you want to make you want to kind of look at the longevity of each of them, how long you think they're going to each of you is going to live, and what the living expenses and the income is going to be if the other person passes away early and they have to live for a long period of time. Historically, women typically live longer than men, so you're usually planning for that, but that's not necessarily the case all the time. You just have to look at your own individual situation and determine, okay, well, what's the you know what is it and what's the calculation so in other words you want to look at the the uh, how the how the pension is being calculated and you want to make sure you look at that as well so you look at the positives and the negative impact of taking uh, the lump sum and as i mentioned earlier in one of the earlier segments uh, if you roll it into another like qualified plan like an IRA or into another 401k plan things like that you're really you can continue to defer it but if you do take it out as cash, then you're going to owe typically the taxes. You may owe a penalty depending on your age, if you're under 59 and a half, things like that. So you just want to make sure you uh, get expert advice and find out in your particular situation what is going to happen if I do take the lump sum. And you don't always have to take it. Um, you, you can divide it up. As I said before, 
if you're getting a million dollars and let's say you have some $20,000 obligation for whatever reason, you absolutely have to have the money and it doesn't matter if you're going to pay tax on it and the penalty. Um, if, if that's the situation, sometimes that's what you do. You take it out, you take care of whatever that uh, emergency need is, essentially, if there's no other way to really realistically take care of it, and you understand the ramifications long-term on the rest of the, um, the asset that's remaining for your retirement, that might be the right decision. But again, you have to do an analysis for that. Um, you want to look at uh, situations where maybe you're uh, your company might be forced to roll it out for some reason, and the uh, pension benefit guarantee corporation might be involved. Sometimes this happens when a corporation uh, files bankruptcy, like General Motors did years ago, and one of their complaints uh, that they were basically one of the reasons they were complaining that they had to file bankruptcy. They, well, we have this huge pension obligation. What are we going to do with this? And that's where sometimes the uh, pension benefit guarantee corporation comes into play, and they will help. Uh, with a minimum benefit because years ago before Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation was around, corporations would literally go bankrupt to wipe out their pension benefit uh, obligation. That was just a technique they used. And the government said, hey, that's not, a, that's not fair. That's not right. Um, the employees had earned this benefit, so you can't just declare bankruptcy because, as I said, this is an asset of the company, right? So if they have um, money set aside in the case of Bristol-Myers, I think it was $3.8 billion, that's, that's in their you know, account. That's their money at the moment. And they're just saying, I'm going to pay it to you as a benefit. If they decide they're going to, if a big company decides they're going to go bankrupt and it wipes out everything, then that, that asset's not there anymore. Well, then the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corp came in, was established to at least give some type of minimum benefit. It was really designed to try to protect uh, the, the moderate and lower income people who really, really rely on these pensions when they retire and don't have necessarily uh, other means to kind of take care of them. Uh, you also want to look at things like what are the instructions? Why, what's the process? Be very clear on the process. Typically, the company will have either they will do it themselves through their HR department. What I'm seeing more often than not is they will outsource this to somebody who is essentially has expertise in this area and understand um, what they're just get you're getting the basic information to them as, as far as the options are you know what paperwork do you have to file where do you send it how do you get it done what's the time frame it can take a little bit of time to have this uh, go into effect once you actually do make those decisions so you really want to understand the process sometimes uh, with pension rollovers you may have to have your spouse sign off if you're going to take a lump sum because this can affect your spouse as well because again they're really trying to protect um, both parties in this. They, they want to make sure that you really understand each step of the way and you don't make a mistake with, uh, with is essentially your retirement. And you don't want to have an error where you run out of money. You don't, you don't want to outlive your assets is the, really the key here. And you want to make sure that you're planning correctly with this. And in this case, they are protecting your spouse because they don't want a high-risk spouse to take this money out and essentially gamble it away or do something that's not necessarily in the best interest of both of you. So they want to know that the maybe the risk-adverse spouse that really wants this income is at least aware of it. And um, so they're going to they're gonna usually going to make you sign off on that if you do roll it into something where you might be self-managing it and so forth. And then uh, also you just want to know that, you know, there are options out there that you can contact. And so you can just go out and um, like, like the pension rights center they have. And so there's other state and federal level organizations that you can reach out to that will help you for um, in the U.S. Administration on Aging, Pension Counseling and Information Program. And so they're everywhere. There's all kinds of advice out there. Um, it's really key, in my opinion, to have um, 
some type of fiduciary give you some type, uh, some kind of analysis on what makes the most sense for you because these are very individual decisions and you want to make sure you do it right because you can't undo it once you do it typically. Um, all right, we'll be right back. This is Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. Learn about tax efficiency, liability, owning, managing, and saving your money and more from Kurt and his experienced panel of guests. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider University offers flexible education for adult learners. For more information, it's rider.edu slash next step. Welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finances. I am Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. And we've been talking primarily about um, pensions and the the rollover options that may be available out there for companies that are trying to get out of the pension management business and are, are rolling it over either individually to their employees that are either currently working there or maybe already retired. And in some cases, they are um, rolling it over to an insurance company who's, who is managing the retirement plan. So there's a lot of decisions to be made just Really make sure you go through that process and uh, take it very seriously because um, once you make a lot of those decisions, it's, it may be hard to unwind it. And just want to make sure you do it right uh, and have some. I strongly encourage you to have some professional advice if uh, this opportunity comes up to you because it can be a very good opportunity, um, but if done wrong, it, it can be not such a good thing. So be careful with that. Um, some things that have been in the news recently, I want to just set off some warning signs here. Um, I get very concerned when I see these things that there are, unfortunately, people out there aren't playing by the rules, so to speak. And um, here's a couple things that have been uh, come up recently. Woodbridge Group was ordered to pay recently a billion dollars for defrauding 8,400 investors. Uh, it was The former owner was Robert Shapiro, and the pe- billion-dollar penalty and uh, disgorgement for running a Ponzi scheme. So essentially what he had done is he had uh, about – he had a – a myriad of companies, about 281 different companies, and he kind of funneled the money through these different companies and made it look like they were legitimate transactions where they were not actually legitimate transactions. So it looked like people had investments. So just like any Ponzi scheme, he was moving money from one company to another company and was paying dividends and interest and things like that to people. So they thought they were getting above average return, but in reality, the money was coming from the newer investors and was not really getting the types of return that were being um, portrayed. And again, he has set up 281 companies, a very sophisticated method to do that. And of course, the person was, um, and some eventually got found out. And those who were kind of at the end of the train, so to speak, were hurt the most typically. And in this case, not really expecting um, everybody to get re- reimbursed, which is kind of sad. So that's it's, um, you know, they're going to try. They're going to try to claw back as much money as they can through the research and so forth. But that's just one example. Another one that I, I get these, unfortunately, all the time, but just another one was down in Texas. There was a, um, uh, this Philip Michael Carter and several inter- and were running a Ponzi scheme. It's, it raised about $45 million for investors in 2015. He was only 44 years old. He had criminal charges against him. Um, he had a lavish lifestyle. It seems like this is the typical thing. Private Jack. A million dollars to operate a thousand acre farm uh, and things like that. So he went along and so he raised it from 270 different investors by selling short term high yield promissory notes 
issued by a number of shell companies. Here we go again, shell companies intentionally named to confuse. And we see that a lot where they make names very, very similar to legitimate companies. Um, and so you want to make sure that you're very aware of what you're doing. So in this case, they were, they were saying they're going to fund the real estate, et cetera, et cetera, but they weren't actually doing it. He was really just using it to live on his lifestyle. So how, how do you find out what the heck's going on here, right? Because if somebody sets a company up and says, okay, well, here's ABC company, and this is the note that it is, you go, oh, I've heard of them. I know who they are. Well, don't just do that. You got to take the actual information you're getting, the contract, because one could be, you know, ABC Real Estate Inc. One could be ABC Real Estate LLC, maybe at a different com um, a different location. So you want to get the actual information on the company, things like the um, EIN and things like that. You want to know exactly who it is, and then you want to check out the security itself with where it's registered. Typically, if they're handing, if they're doing notes, it's going to be registered with either on a federal level through the SEC, um, or it's going to be registered on a state level as well. So you you want to you want to follow that path actually to who it's being registered with and how it's being registered so that you can actually verify that it's legitimate. And you want to make sure you pay very, very close attention to the name of the entity that it's exact. You have to make sure it's exact because this is how some of these schemes are done is they, they intentionally try to confuse people and they divert the money into entities that aren't properly registered and they haven't been uh, vetted, so to speak. And, and the SEC doesn't really vet things, but at least it's registered and you know that they've gone through a basic process of explaining what they're doing. And there may be, you know, if they say there's security for the instrument, that there actually is security. If it's unsecured note, um, you can hopefully get documentation on the entity that you're lending the money to. In other words, so if you're giving an unsecured note to an entity, you want to make sure that there's assets behind it as well. We, I mean, we're seeing that kind of out uh, with PG&E out in California with the wildfires and there's, a, there's really billions and billions of dollars of unsecured notes out there. And now people are wondering whether or not they're going to get their payments on those. And that and that's a legitimate like entity, right? And so even when it's a legitimate entity, there are risks to these unsecured notes. And there's also risks to secured notes, which means there's actually assets underneath it, like a mortgage is a secured note, right? So if you have a mortgage on your house, that's secured. If you have a credit card, that's that's unsecured. Well, companies have the same same thing, right? So when they issue... Uh, notes, mortgages, things like that, bonds, um, you have to make sure you understand whether or not that bond is secured by assets or if it's unsecured before you purchase because it can be a very large uh, risk differential between the two. And in this case, they they pretty much used um, that idea of, of creating fictitious securities in a way that confuses people and allows them to divert funds through other entities and eventually it kind of disappears into their own personal lifestyle. And all of these these schemes come down and they collapse at some point in time because you run out of other people's coming into the into this Ponzi scheme. That's why they're really bad. And uh, unfortunately, when they're kind of in the middle of that, it looks like there's a lot of people making a lot of money and people get drawn into that. So you have to have somebody, either yourself or somebody, take a look and make sure they're checking out all of these instruments, making sure they're checking out the entities that are issuing the instruments to find out, first of all, if they're legitimate, and two, even if they are legitimate, if the risk profile is being properly analyzed and you actually understand what your risk is. The larger bonds and things like that, they actually have rating agencies that will watch them, and even they make mistakes. So you want to do your own research. Don't just take the word of a, a rating agency. But uh, you can do it. It is doable, and I highly recommend that you, you take the extra time to do that. 
Um, another thing I just want to talk, finish off with is that I know we've had a little bit of volatility here, and I want to take some some words of wisdom from uh, the great Warren Buffett. So in, in his case, he's, he, he says a market uh, downturn doesn't bother us. It's a great opportunity to increase our ownership of great companies with great management at good prices. And he's kind of right on there because I know people are getting very nervous at the end of last year, 2018. We had this large drop uh, in the market, um, and which frankly had been uh, expected for a very long period of time. However, year to date, most of the um, most of the market is up. Most uh, segments of the market are doing pretty well. Now, no, we don't know where the market's going. Nobody does. But the idea is that you really want to stay in the game, so to speak. You have to have a long-term strategy, which as uh, anybody who's familiar with Warren Buffett knows, that's kind of his thing. Long-term strategy, take advantage when people are, are uh, leaving the uh, market. And he did an analysis and he said, uh, he called he has three segments here, the nervous investor, patient investor, and savvy investor. The nervous investor, after the 2008 market, uh, sold all stocks uh, and invested in cash starting in March 9th, 2009. They started off with $10,000. They had $8,887. They just went to cash. That was it. They never got back in the market. Um, the patient investor who had actually um, just held through the whole thing. Um, held steadfastly through the stocks, they ended up with a value of about 21302 So they doubled their money over time, right? And so this is, um, so that's great, right? So that's good. So they stayed in the market, even though they felt a lot of pain in 2008 and 9. It came back. The market progressed. As we all know, the market's done pretty well. And the savvy investor, the one who actually added some money, they added another 10000 So now, of course, your base is 20000 on March 9th, 2009, which was uh, when things were really kind of painful, they had an ending value of 68914 So it's kind of counterintuitive, but when things are not looking so good and you still know that the value of the underlying assets are still really there and it's more of an emotional uh, response, uh, that's, again, where planning comes in and you really want to pay attention to your own personal long-term plan and really stick to the plan. And that's where a little bit where things like um, rebalancing come in, where they're kind of shifting assets back and forth. Anyway, we're almost out of time, but I appreciate you listening once again. Uh, you've been listening to Master Your Finances. I am Kurt Baker. I can be reached through our website, which is uh, cwmi.us, cwmi or you can uh, subscribe to the podcast at masteryourfinance.us, and you can call me directly at 609-716-4700. Remember, together we can master your finances so you can enjoy financial peace of mind. That was this week's episode of Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. Tune in every Sunday at 9 a.m. to expand your knowledge in building and managing your wealth. Missed an episode? No worries. You can subscribe to a free weekly episode of Master Your Finances to listen to on your favorite podcasting platform. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider offers continuing studies programs for adults who need flexibility. Want to add new skills to your resume? Take a continuing studies course at Rider University.